Um, I, I want to challenge you today uh, in, in a different way. I want to talk to you about what the Lord is speaking to you. Um, and not just what he's speaking to you, but what he's calling you to, okay? Have you ever felt, have you ever felt or been somewhere and you've felt something inside of you say that I'm supposed to do that? Somebody else isn't supposed to. I'm supposed to do that. It's that feeling that you can't shake. It's the dream that you keep having. It's the thing that you think about right before you fall asleep. And the first thing that you do when you wake up in the morning, there are things that we know we're supposed to do. There are things that we know that God's called us to do. But for some of us, there are places that God has called us to. And I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that God called us to Mark Tree, Arkansas. It was a, um, not too long ago. We're getting up near five years now uh, that we uh, have been here, and it's been just over five years that we made an announcement that we were coming to this place. Um, I'll never forget sitting down uh, with Pastor Matt, Sierra, and I sitting down and discussing church planting. We talked about, well, what's this going to be like? How is this going to work? And I'll never forget picking Sierra up and driving down to Mark Tree to just feel it out. I remember the conversation sitting in Pastor Matt's office where we sat down and he, and he said, I, uh, they, the church had plans of planting in one place and those plans somewhat fell through. Uh, and he said the Lord revealed to him that the person that was to go would know the place that they are to be. It takes a lot of trust uh, to put into somebody as young as we were. And um, I remember getting in the car with Sierras back when I had that little gray Mustang that we would drive around. And I remember getting in that car and driving to this place and, and just thinking, um, is this going to be it? Is this the place? And we drove down Liberty Street and we drove across the railroad tracks and we drove through Brower Estates, and we drove through the Poinsett County Housing Authority, and we drove back through, around, and all of these things. And Pastor Matt and I would drive back through here, and we would sit down in the, in the Poinsett Cafe right down here and have lunch like I've done so many times over the last five years. Sierra and I would get in that same car, drive to a different city, a different place. But it had a totally different feeling to it. I drove through this place, and it was very different than the other place I drove through. It was very, um, very obvious to me, and I knew driving the roads through here uh, and past this place that we would soon be having church, I knew that we were supposed to plant here when I drove across the tracks and down the streets and by the high school, I knew that there were hurting and unreached people that needed a place to be safe. And I knew that there were people that needed to be a refuge. You realize that we're putting out churches here and we're not just doing it for the sake of having more. We're doing it in places that we look at and know that needs a refuge. Did Mark Tree need another church? No. And uh, I, I don't think it did. I think what it needed was a refuge. It needed a place for people to come, to be safe, to encounter the Lord, to find healing, to find restoration and hope, and, and find deliverance, and find uh, 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 hope for tomorrow. So we drove around and started to really get a heart for this place. God began to release a burden in our hearts for the town. And I remember going to a different place and not feeling near the same that I did about this place, about Mark Tree. And sometimes when you see and experience something that's outside of your calling, notice I didn't say just outside of your comfort, because to be honest with you, uh, for Sierra, the other place was a lot more comfortable than this. This looks a lot like home to me. Uh, this is a lot like the place that I grew up in. So when you go and look at something that's outside of your calling, not outside of your comfort, it pushes you towards your calling. Going and seeing something else did not reveal to me or put in question what I felt about here. All it did was push me closer to this place. Don't be afraid 
To allow yourself to see. I'm not saying that you need to go sow wild oats. What I'm saying is you have to trust that the calling of God is exactly what his word says. And it is without repentance. His gifts and his, God is not a, um, he doesn't give you something and then take it right back. When he gives you something, it is yours. When he puts something on you, it is yours. His gifts and his callings, what the scripture says, are without repentance. So if I was called to be in this place, if our church was called to be in this place, then there would not be another that should be able to deter me off of this. If I'm staying in the will of the Lord, if I'm following God's will, then I will be in every place that I am supposed to be in. If I'm following what I want, I will find myself outside of those places looking for the right place. So stay with me this morning. If you're easily swayed off of what God has led you to, then I don't believe that your calling is very valid. If the first time I experienced difficulty here in this city, I wouldn't and ran from it, I wouldn't really be called to it. If you back down the first time you experience adversity in a place that God led you to be in, it's hard for me to acknowledge the call. That's on it. If God calls you to it, don't back up then. Don't back down then. Don't give in. Don't give up. Keep on going. Don't stop. If he really called you to it, you don't have a choice. (laughs) That's the reality. Is if he really called me to it, I don't have a choice to do something else. It doesn't matter. I think we need to get back to that place in the church to realize that my opinion doesn't really matter in the eyes of the calling of the Lord on my life. I don't want to go there. He didn't ask if I wanted to. He just said, go. Jonah, I don't want to go to Nineveh. I'd rather sail to Tarshish. He didn't ask you where you want. This wasn't a carnival cruise line. This wasn't a place for you to choose your destination. You had to go where the calling of the Lord was. Because being inside of your comfort and inside of your calling is not the same thing. Oh, I'd rather do this. I'm more capable at this. I'm I'm more attuned to this kind of people, or I'm used to ministering in this way, or I would like, God, you know my giftings are like this. Yes, but where is your calling? Question is, are we willing to follow the Lord in the places that he's calling us to, even if it's a, a little beyond what we would... Um, have really signed up for. The, re- the problem is, is when you signed the dotted line and said, Lord, my life is yours, you kind of gave that away in the terms and the conditions and agreement, right? Yeah. Like, I didn't get to choose. I, I, I don't want to do that. Well, too bad. <laughs> um, I think that there's a lot of things that you probably didn't want to do that you had to do growing up. If you think about the job that you have, there's a lot of things at work that you may have to endure and have to push through. Why? Because you know that you got to eat this weekend, right? And so you got to do some things that you might not always want to do. I will never forget growing up uh, working in Pine Bluff, Arkansas, which is where I'm from. Uh, I grew up there and I worked at the paper mill there as a teenager when I was in college and whatnot. And uh, I'll never forget... When, we, when we'd walk in, golly, it would be so hot in those summers that we'd be out there. And I worked in the general yard crew, so I had to mow grass. I had to weed eat. They didn't let us use lawnmowers. They gave us the biggest steel weed eaters you can buy. And they weighed 150 pounds if they weighed an ounce. And you would carry them dudes when they were, it was 140 degrees outside. And the worst was not when you weed eat it. I prayed to weed eat. After the paper mill would shut down, it would dump all of the paper stock that it had stored up into a boulevard full of drains. And you had to wash up paper mache, basically, with a fire hose because they dumped a million gallons of it at a time. 
And you would be out, we would be out there, Miss Lori, sometimes three weeks, and we would be out there washing this stock up all day long. And if you've ever stood in hot paper mache when it's 110 degrees outside and you're, it smells bad, I didn't want to do it. But I knew that my truck had gas, and it needed some gas inside of it. And I knew that I wanted to marry Sierra, and that ring wasn't free. So the whole time that I'm out there at 18 and 19 years old, washing that stock up out there, I'm thinking, man, I really wish I was anywhere else, but I really wanted that ring to give to her. So I would stand there, and I'd wash that stock up all day long in the same place, doing the same and you just get wore out after a while and I don't know if any of you've ever held a fire hose but it's uh it's Scott it's kind of like this it's like holding a bazooka that's a water gun and you you turn that on and you just about if you ever let one slip out of your hands it's a problem too so (laughs) but we would we would stand there and we would endure those things because there was a goal in mind do you want God's best for your life Do you want what the Lord wants for you? Do you think that it's just possible that what God really wants for you is so much more than what you can imagine, but you've got to push through some difficulty and do a few things that you might not really want to do right now. You got to invest a little bit in this moment so that you can encounter and fully engage with everything that God has planned. Push on. You might not want to wash stock. I didn't either. But I wanted the results of what that was going to be. Yeah, but it doesn't seem related. Oh, but it is. I'll encourage you this. God doesn't ever call anybody that he doesn't put the tools in your hands to do what he's called you to do. I'm not saying you're going to start with it. I'm not going to say you were born with it. I'm not going to say that you were given this to start with. I'm saying you've got to say yes to him, and he's not going to be the reason that it didn't work. So if he's called you to this, you say, I don't have all the stuff. Okay, but has he called you to it? Yeah, then he's going to give you the stuff. And you're going to be able to, he's not going to call somebody that he's not willing to equip. God won't lead you somewhere that he has no provision for. Now, you may have to show some real trust in him. The provision that he has for you may not come in the form uh, or the currency that you anticipate it to. But sometimes his provision looks different than dollars and cents. And I've been in some places where you trade all the dollars and cents in the world for a kind word. All the dollars in the world can't buy the peace of God. Sometimes the provision of God looks like peace in a place of chaos. Sometimes the provision looks like strength in a vulnerable and weak place. We get so caught up, though, in the thought of provision equals cash. Why? Because we think about that a lot. There's a lot of the things that people uh, have on their mind. Lord, for crying out loud, we just had an offering declaration where we're believing God for a blessing and increase to come to our families and our homes. Yeah. And what do you need that to be? You need that to be dollars, dimes, and nickels so that you can put food on your table, tires on your car insurance on your home and all of the things that fall under that category you need that but that's not all you need yes sometimes he uses checks in the mail or gifts and surprises but that's not the only way that he is a provider Have confidence in this. Where he calls, he provides if you follow God's calling you will be provided for Because how many of you would like to try to go at it on your own a little bit longer? Because you'll find out, at least I have, I need him a lot. In fact, the longer I live and the more I know, the more I realize, the more I need him. Does anybody understand what I'm saying today? Stepping into your calling can be difficult. There's uncertainty. And sometimes there's a lot of doubt. God has grace for you in the hard times. We sometimes make mistakes when we step into the unknown. But the best thing is he has grace for us even when we fall. Even if it's our fault. Turn with me in your Bibles in the book of Matthew chapter number 14, verse number 28. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, 
if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water to go to Jesus, but when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and called him and said unto him, O thou of little face, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshiped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word that you've given us today. Lord, let this word sink deep into the heart of men and women under the sound of my voice and watching online today. Lord, would you allow us to be changed by the power and the anointing of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to preach to you for the last couple of minutes of this service about what it is to be called. Peter was called by Jesus onto the water. The water is a place of uncertainty. It was a place that he wasn't comfortable with. It was a place that he didn't have control, but it was a place that he was carried, and it's all because he was called. If you're taking notes, the first thing you want to write down is this, calling abandons comfort. Peter and many of the disciples are fishermen. They are good at this. They're not just, hey, I like to go catch bass every once in a while on the weekend. They ain't just brim fishermen. These guys have got what you call hook nets. They got a big boat with no motor, but probably got big oars. And they got a lot of stuff on it. And they're out there all night, every night fishing. Why? Because if their family's going to eat, it's going to be because they sold some fish at the market. They knew how to run a boat. You don't find fishermen that don't know how to run a boat. They knew how to run a boat in a storm, not just when it was calm. They no doubt had been through many storms together. They had put boats through bad storms. I bet they probably even built some boats. And they always made it back home. My dad used to tell me, my dad grew up in South Alabama. Uh, well, he spent a lot of time in Hampton, Arkansas, but most of my family lives in the Mobile area in South Alabama. And there, uh, Grandpa and Dad would get in one of these old boats. I think they had rented a boat one day to go out into the bay. Because if you've ever been to Mobile, you're, you're pretty much in the bay. And uh, you can put a boat in and boat all the way out into the Gulf from Mobile. And so they boated out, and a storm came in. And they're coming back in to shore. But even when you're coming with the waves, you still hit the wave as you're going over it. And they're riding. I don't know when this was. My dad was born in 1950. And so there's, uh, I don't know what year it was that he was doing this in, but whatever boat they chose to be in that day had a, was a wooden boat. And they're out there with, I don't remember if it was like a 25 Johnson on the back of it or something like that. And they're running this boat back in because a storm is coming up in the Gulf. Guess where you don't want to be uh, or what you want to be in in a storm in the Gulf? And that's a rented wooden boat. And so here they are making it back into town, holding that. Uh, I'm holding it down here because that's where, that's where the, uh, the um, trim, not the trim, whatever. I'm not even going to focus on that right now. They're getting back into town and as the boats coming back in they're hitting wave after wave and dad said he could watch as the front of that boat began to separate and as it began to separate obviously it's taken on water so what do they do they sit in the back of the boat and hammer down why because you ain't trying to be shark bait ooh aha today and so they 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 start going and when you push on the motor and when you when you turn it up some, the, the bow of that boat rises. So they're trying to keep the cracked part out of the water. But the problem is with every wave, them nails and tacks start coming apart. They make it in. If grandpa and dad had that kind of experience out of the, I don't know how many dozens or hundreds of times they went out into the bay. Can you imagine what that must be like for these fellas? They don't have 
a 40-horse Evan Rude motor to get them back into town. They don't have all of those things. But I guarantee you that these guys have encountered similar situations. Maybe they're not having the boat split in half, but they've gone through some things before, and they've made it through some storms. This is not the first time they've encountered adversity in this place. They no doubt have been through it. They're seasoned veterans of the water. They're comfortable in that boat. The boat provides safety to them. It's a place where they weren't susceptible to the wind and the waves. They found safety in that boat. They were sheltered and shielded from the elements inside the boat. Peter was called onto the water, but in order for him to step into the call of God, and in order for him to obey the call that was placed on him, he had to step out of a place of comfort and into a place of his calling. In order for us to step into all that God's called us to be and to do, we've got to get out of the boat. In order for us to step out into the unknown, we've got to leave the known behind. He's been a sailor and a fisherman forever, right? He, he is the top-notch guy, right? He is the one that you would want to have on your boat. But guess what he's never done? He never walked on the water. He swam in it plenty of times, but he's never walked on the water. Think about it. There's a difference between walking and swimming a whole lot, right? Because when you are swimming, you are subject to the water that you are in. When you are walking on the water, the water is subject to you. We're going to get into this in just a second. It requires an unreal amount of faith to step out of the boat. Preachers preach this message over and over and over to the point that I struggle to preach things like this. But you've got to leave the comfort of the place that you're in. You've got to get out of your comfort zone. This is so easily said from behind a pulpit, though. It's so easy to say when you're not being stretched. And if you're the one that's standing on the edge of the boat, the narrative changes. If you're the one who has to step onto the waves you aren't so quick to make the step anymore. How do you know? Because it's easy to watch these guys. You watch these videos of these people, uh, especially I've watched dozens of videos of, of uh, military trainings and whatnot where the Marine cadets uh, are standing on, uh, on the edge of something and they have to jump off into the water and they're worried about jumping. Well, you ain't feeling no worry about jumping. Why are they not jumping? Don't they know they're just going to hit the water like everybody else and get up and go on? Sure, but you're not the one that's standing on the edge. When you're the one that's standing on the edge, it doesn't feel as scary until you get in line to do it. How many of you have got some kids that used to get up uh, at water parks or uh, city parks or whatever and climb to the top of the slide and then be afraid to go down the slide when they get there? Abigail and Sierra and I went to uh, whatever Jackson Farms uh, pumpkin patch out uh, outside of Jonesboro. I don't remember where it's at, uh, but I went. And we, we went out there, and they've got a slide that you take a, a carpet, and you climb to the top of this deer stand-looking thing, and then you slide down some uh, grain bin or whatever. You come out of some culvert at the bottom of it. I mean, kids are doing it over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Me, on the other hand, I'm not really afraid of it. I just don't want to, my back to hurt when I get off of it, right? So I, I put Abigail on my shoulder and climb up this deer stand thing and get to the top of it. And I said, all right, baby, let's get in here and go. She was good until it was time to go. She was happy with everything until it was time to actually slide down the slide. Well, guess what we wasn't about to do? Climb back down that deer stand. We was going down the slide. And uh, she decided about halfway down the slide that she was having a good time, but not a good enough time to go back up and do it again. So (laughs) we anyways, I, I, I feel that so much for Peter that for the rest of the disciples, you gotta be feeling what they're thinking in this moment. Like, come on, man. If you're feeling froggy, jump. Like, you ought to be able to do this, right? Until you are the one that has to step your foot off into the water. Because I don't know how the sea was uh, at that point, and I don't know how you are, but good swimmers die in choppy water. 
And so it's a big deal. And uh, the Coast Guard wasn't coming for help, by the way. Uh, they're not flying the helicopter out to pull you out today. You're just kind of, you know, kind of out of luck today if that's what happens. But there's real consequences to the choices you make. If Peter steps out onto the water and he's missed God, guess what? He's in trouble. It's so important to recognize that Peter was the only one who stepped onto the water. Jesus only called Peter. If you haven't been called, then you need to stay in the boat until you are called. There was none of this because what I have seen so many times in church, especially in churches that are hungry, that do very well in discipleship like our church does, um, you got somebody that's called out onto the water, but you got three other people that are trying to push them out of the way so they can step out too. And it's like he didn't call you. It wasn't your calling to answer. You have got to be careful that you respond when you are called and you're not answering somebody else's calling because it becomes very dangerous when you start making steps that were not meant for you to make. I have a conversation with, with people that are young in the ministry uh, and, and some of you are looking at me like, well, aren't you that? Yes, this is actually my 11th year. I, I'm coming up this April. It will be 11 years since I started, um, uh, since I accepted the call to preach. So I've, I've been doing this a, a while at this point and understand uh, a lot about uh, what it is to operate in the ministry. I grew up in a pastor's home. By the way, that doesn't mean a thing uh, unless you are the pastor. Uh, and so if you, when you learn this from being the pastor, you kind of start seeing things in other people and qualities that can make them more um, susceptible to answering a call of God on their life. And I have this conversation because I heard somebody say this to me one time, uh, or I watched somebody say this one time, and it really uh, stirred me up. If you can do anything else and live, do it. If you can go do anything other than follow the call of God on your life, do it. Go for it. But if he's called you, there's nothing you can do to get away from it. There's nothing you can do. You'll never be able to hide long enough. You'll never be able to ignore. You'll, you, you won't be able to just, it won't be a phase. It won't fade out of your mind and into your existence. If he has called you, there is nothing you can do about it. You can ignore it and you can run from God your whole life. You absolutely can. But it is not going to be because he forgot to call on you. Hey. Do you remember that this is what you're supposed to be doing? So I encourage people that are young in the ministry in this. Stop worrying so much about missing your calling. Because it's not going to go away. It's not, there are no ministry emergencies. I'm, there, now, let me say that again. There are emergencies in ministry. But there is no ministry emergency that if I don't, if I, if I don't do it just right at this exact moment, I'm going to miss everything that God has ever had for me. No. How do you know that? Because Jonah got in a boat and went the opposite direction of the place that God called him, found him in the belly of a fish, and he spits him out on the land, and God still put him in the place where those people would hear the gospel message. Well, I don't know if I'm going to, if I, right now, I, I got to get it all together. Guess who's not in a rush about this? God. Guess who's not in a rush about anything? The Lord. Why? Because everything operates on his time anyways. It's not ours. Time is a man-made uh, uh, element of our society to measure and quantify places and times and seasons that we have. That's not on God. He's outside of it. Selah. There's real consequences to the decisions you make. And when you step out of the boat, what you're doing is leaving behind the comfort and all of the security that comes along with it. All the safety harnesses are off at this point. All of the backup plans are gone. When you step out of the boat and in the call of God, you will have to leave something. The Arkansas Game and Fish wasn't there to make sure he had a life jacket on. 
When you step out of the boat and into the call of God, you're going to have to leave some things behind. The way that you see the water and waves has to be left behind. Living and operate under the call of God requires sacrifice. It is difficult, but it is not impossible because you are stepping into the call of God with the blessing of God under the anointing of God with the provision of God. The provision for Peter, however, did not come until he stepped out. Jesus could have easily made a bridge appear and asked Peter to walk to him, but he just said, come. Can you imagine? I don't know what Peter must have been thinking standing there in the boat. He said, Lord, if it is actually you, you call me and ask me to walk out there to you. I don't know what he imagined in that moment because Jesus could have easily... um, uh, called a bridge down from heaven or something and had it there or had 10,000 angels lay on their backs so that Peter could walk. I don't know. He could have done any amount of things. It could have been any number of things. Jesus could have dried the water up right there. Why not? He's done it twice in the Old Testament already, so he could have easily done that right then. There's no telling what. And if Peter's remembering what he's been taught as a child, then he is probably thinking about, well, you know, when Joshua led the children of Israel out of the wilderness and into the promised land, when he put his foot in the water, then all the waves began to roll up on one side side and they crossed the Jordan River on dry ground. I don't know what he thought was going to happen, but I can imagine he probably was a little shocked when he put his foot on the ground or put his foot on the water and it was solid and he starts to walk towards him. I don't know what he was thinking there, what was going to happen, but Peter didn't take time to acknowledge it. All he did was just respond to the call of God. He said, come. So he did. See, I don't have to worry about the provision of it. Why? Because if it is the calling of the Lord, the provision will be there. And he knew, let me tell you this, it didn't take him three steps to find out whether or not this was the plan of God. It took one. And as soon as he stepped out, because if it didn't happen on the first one, it wasn't going to happen ever. He steps out onto the water and instantly knows that he has heard from the Lord and he must be talking to Jesus because his foot is now on a solid place. The provision did not come until he had stepped out. And when Peter stepped out and the water held under his feet, he stepped out of the comfort and into the call. Second thing, if you're uh, writing notes, you can write this down. Calling abandons control. The boat may have been a place of comfort, but it was also a place of control. The disciples that were on the boat knew how to control the boat. They knew what to do with it. They're fishermen. None of them, no matter how skilled, could control the wind and the waves. They can control the boat, but they can't control the water. God will sometimes call you to a place where you have no control. The need for control is just a form of insecurity, which is just a lack of faith. A lack of faith isn't pleasing to God. How do you know that? Because Hebrews tells us that it is impossible to please God with no faith. The idea of actually having control is completely subjective because there are so few things that we can actually control. You'd be shocked at the number of things in which you have no control over. When you get in the car, my parents used to tell me when I was a teenager, they said, Mark, I'm not worried about your driving. I'm worried about everybody else's, right? I can't control what other drivers do on the road. You can have a spotless record, but it only takes one person to make a mistake. And then all of a sudden, now you have been encountered by something that you had no control over. I can't control when people make bad decisions. I can't control when people decide to walk out of my life. I can't control when things happen in one place and when they have. The only thing that you actually really have control over is you. You think you have control over your kids or your wife or your husband, but you don't. You think you do. You may have them snowed for a moment, but you really don't. You don't have control over them. They are individuals. They will do what they choose. How do you know that? Because some of my brothers and sisters are not heads. We were raised right, and we still made mistakes. And I told them some about that in membership class. My parents raised me right. 
All the wrong that I've done wasn't because they didn't raise me right. All the mistakes that I made had no reflection on whether or not they had good parenting skills or good character. That was on me. And that ought to release some of you in here today that you are not the, res, the, the perpetrator of the difficulty in your children's lives. If you raised them in the admonition of God and dedicated them to the Lord, then guess what? They are his, not yours. When you have a baby dedication, and I've done a few standing right here now, when they come up here, and we dedicate this baby to the Lord in remembrance of what Hannah did with Samuel. Guess what? That baby's not yours anymore. It's the Lord's. And so you worry so much about something that you don't have any control over anymore. Selah, we, once you step out, when Peter leaves the boat, he not only, he, he left the only thing that he had control of. God's going to sometimes call you to a place that you have to relinquish control in order to walk on the water. You have to let, you have to get to a place where you can relinquish control. You have to let go of your security and control in order to walk on water. Once you step out, you can't try to regain control. Notice that. Once Peter steps out onto the water, there's no going back now, guys. When you step out into this, I can't, uh, hey man, let me, uh, I, uh, no, no, that's not how this is going to work. When you step out in faith, you've got to stay in faith right? It's not about what is comfortable anymore. It's not about what I can have control in. I have totally submitted myself to the Lord and the direction that he has for my life. Therefore, when I step out, I can't go back into the thing that I was in. I can't go back that way because I didn't get here on my own. I can't get back. Notice that Jesus had to get Peter back into the boat. We're going to get there. Peter falls in the water. Why? Because he takes his eyes off the Lord. I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But the reality is Jesus is going to have to get Peter back in the boat. Why? Because Peter didn't get there on his own in the first place. But at some point he thought that he needed to do it on his own. And because he thought he needed to do it on his own, he realized he couldn't do anything apart from the Lord and desperately needed the Lord to help him get back into the place of comfort and security. Mm, That's okay. Don't worry about what you can't control. Don't worry about the things that are in his control. Peter couldn't control the winds and the waves. He started worrying about what he couldn't control, and then he begins. See, the scripture points out that it was when he took notice of the wind and the waves and took his eyes off of what was going on or what or who was calling him. When he took his eyes off of the Lord, it was then that he began to say, have you ever noticed that when you focus on the things that are going wrong in your life, things get worse? Putting focus on the things that are tough don't make things better. You think that if you worry about it enough, it's going to get better, but it doesn't. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I, I, I don't know how they're going to come. What, what if they don't come home tonight? What if, uh, you know, I, I just think of the mother or the grandmother that is wringing their fingers and their hands in worry and, and fear over whether or not that child is going to come back or whether or not that child's going to serve the Lord the way that I taught them to. I just see that over and over and over. And I think, how much has your worry done? Not a lot. Not a lot. Now, what I'm not equating that to is the mother, the grandmother, the father, the grandfather that is on their knees seeking the Lord over the salvation of their children. That's not the same thing here. Praying about something does not mean, see, I think praying about something does not mean that you have fear over something. I think that some people, and this is just a theory that I have. You don't have to believe it if you don't want to, I guess. I think that some people don't pray because they feel it's a sign of weakness. If I have to pray about it, that means that I've not been able to handle it. And maybe you're that kind of person where you didn't like asking for help a lot. And so when you go to ask for help, you feel like a failure. And you felt that way when you had to go to your boss or when you had to go to your mother or when you had to go to your father. And now you started treating God that way. And that's not how we can be. 
Man, it is quiet for as good as I'm preaching this morning. Don't treat God like the person who hurts you. Don't treat God like the boss that scolded you for making a mistake. Don't treat the Lord with the same way that you experienced with an abusive relationship in the past. Allow him to be the good God that he is. Put your trust in him and then allow him to take you in places that you never would have thought possible. The last thing, and I need to close with this, and I'm going to try to do it fast. If you're taking notes, this will be the last thing. We are carried in our calling. Calling abandons comfort. Calling abandons control. But we are also carried in our calling. Peter had to keep his focus on the Lord And as long as he was focused on Jesus, he's able to walk on the water. As long as he's focused on Jesus, the wind and waves had no power over Peter. But he gave them power when he gave them his attention. Be so careful of what you're giving your attention to. What is it that garners so much of your thought? Is it worry? Do you spend more time worrying about things that haven't happened than dealing with situations that are currently going on? Because I think that worry is connected to fear. And fear is a spiritual paralytic. What do you mean? It makes you not do anything. And if you stay fearful long enough, you're going to find out that it is an open door for depression and anxiety. It is an open door for, um, let's be real, it's an open door for suicidal thoughts. It is an open door for... um, wrongful things to come into your life if you entertain it long enough. Peter took his attention off the Lord and started looking at the wind and the waves. The control he gave up became very evident when he stopped focusing on Jesus. When Peter's attention broke, he began to sink and Jesus reaches down to pick him up. Even in Peter's mistake, Jesus picks Peter up by the hand and helps him out of the water. We are carried in our calling And even in our mistakes. Because here's the thing. Jesus could have, when Peter got out there and started to sink, Jesus could have looked at him and said, I I knew it. I knew you didn't have enough faith in me. I knew you were going to fall and look at you now. He could have done that. And a lot of people in this world will. They're looking at you hoping you're going to fall. Some of them look at it and wait. And and you think, my goodness, pastor, how paranoid do you have to be? Have you ever been on social media? How many times has somebody walked up to you and showed you something and said, look at this. I told you this was going to happen. How many times has that happened? How many millions of times have people looked at that? And it happens every day. I'm not paranoid. I'm telling you the truth. People watch what you do. Jesus could have been there and looked at him and said the same thing. I knew this was going to happen. Remember, Jesus is 100% God and 100% man at this point. He took on a dirt body just like you and I to fulfill a purpose that God gave him. And so here, he possesses all of the power of God in the body of a man. He knows what Peter's going to do. He knows he's going to do this. And what does he do? When Peter begins to sink, there's not one bit of judgment. He cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus reaches down and catches him and pulls him up and says, let's go back to the boat. What kind of, what kind of person does that? In the vulnerable place, you put your trust in him enough so that you could literally walk on water. And then all of a sudden, in a moment's notice, you take it all back from him. And Jesus doesn't get bitter. He doesn't hold a grudge on him. He doesn't tell him, I told you so. He grabs him and carries him back to the boat. When you step out of the boat, don't think that everything will be perfect from there on. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to fall. But don't let that fall cause you to drown. 
reach out and take the Lord by the hand because he will always be there to catch you when you fall. When Sierra and I felt the call to pastor, it was a scary thought. Church planting was beyond thought. It wasn't even on our radar, but God had been preparing our heart for something bigger. You don't have to have all the answers before you step out of the boat. You just have to have the call. The calling into ministry and the call of God on my life didn't scare me. What God has asked me to do since the call is what's challenging my faith. And I'm even thinking about my personal life right now. The things that you have no idea about. And the call that the Lord's placed on my life and the things that he's calling me to right now are, are a big stretch for me. A huge stretch, believe it or not. And I'm happening to believe that the Lord is leading this call. I don't have all the answers, but I have the call. And I've got to make the step. I don't have all the, the, the reason behind what he's doing, but I know I have to make the step. See, the calling into ministry didn't scare me, but what challenges my faith is what he's asked me to do now. He challenged me to plant a church in Mark Tree. I hadn't pastored before. I've got about five years of experience at this point, but, and I know I've made a lot of mistakes. I've hurt some people here. I'm going to be real with you. I've made some mistakes. I've, I've, I've done things I probably shouldn't have done. A lot of it was in ignorance, mostly because I didn't know what to do. And I told you, I grew up in a pastor's home and thought I knew. <laughs> I really did. Uh, my grandpa was a preacher. My daddy's a preacher. All of these things, I thought I knew. You don't. <laughs> you don't. And my mistakes, though, didn't, the Lord didn't take the call away from me just because of my mistakes. I know I messed up, and he did too. Um, but he didn't stop it. He didn't say, well, now you get to sit down, you never get to do this again. No, no, no. I realize there are certain things that you can't do that do disqualify you. I'm not saying that. And I'm not saying that that's what I was involved in. I, some basic leadership things that I needed to learn early on, I didn't know. Um, but my mistake didn't change the call. I had to leave the comfort of a bigger church with lots of people. Some of you were a part of that too. I had to leave behind the comfort of my parents. I had to leave behind the comfort of knowing what was going to happen next. And I heard one person say that the fear is not the opposite of faith. The opposite of faith is certainty. I had to leave behind the control of our understanding. And here in Mark Tree, Northeast Arkansas, I don't really control anything. I can't control every detail of everything. But in everything that we do, we've been carried in our calling. And everything hasn't been perfect and nothing ever will be perfect here. So if you're looking for a perfect church, you might ought to move on and tell me when you find it. Because it ain't here. And believe it or not, it ain't going to be wherever else you go either. And I've preached in many. I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about three or four churches. I've preached all over this state. I have friends and pastors that, that I call friends all over this state and in much part of the United States. There are churches like this. You're going to struggle to find perfection there. I still have to step into the unknown. It may be uncertain and it may be difficult, but don't stay in the boat when there's miracles in the calling. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. And Lord, I just believe right now that what you're doing and what you're speaking to people in the hearts and lives of those that are near, Lord, would you allow us to hear your voice and only yours. And when it is you, Lord, don't let us be confused with many other distractions. But let us, Lord, hear your voice and be active with your voice in Jesus' name. If you're here with every head bowed and every eye closed, and maybe you'd say, Pastor, I'm, <clears throat> I don't know if I can do what you do. I'm not asking you to. Not everybody's called to preach. I realize that. But you've all been called by the Lord. 
You've been called to relationship with him. You've been called to serve him, to be a part of the kingdom of God. And that doesn't look like the same as everything else. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm the call of the Lord that I'm hearing is I need to know him. I need to know him as my savior. He needs, I, need, I need him to be my Lord. I need, I need my sins forgiven this morning. I need to be changed. If that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you. But I will tell you this. You're making a decision that many people in this room have already done. I'm not here to call you out. I'm not going to make you do something weird. All I want you to do is just put your hand up and put it right back down so I know to pray. And that's it. Praise the Lord. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm, I feel the call of God on my life. I don't know what all it's going to be or what it will entail, but I'm willing to go to the places that he'll take me. Is that you today? Would you just slip your hand up? Yeah, hands up all over this room. All over this room. I'm going to follow the Lord. Now let's do this together with a step of faith. If that's you, I want you to just jump to your feet as a sign of obedience to the Lord that I'm going to follow him in every place that he calls me. And I believe that. Father, I could lay my hands on every one of these people, but I cannot commission them to go any more than your word to them. So, Father, would you speak right now to every person in this room that professes faith in Jesus, that would say, I'm willing to go, that is ready to answer the call of God. If that is you, Lord, I want you to speak right to their heart, right to their spirit, Lord. Connect yours with theirs today, Father, and allow them, O God, to hear the call of God, to hear the voice of the Lord and be moved by your calling. Let it not become stagnant inside of their spirit, but Lord, let it burn like fire inside of them. And Father, I believe that who you have called, you will also equip. And Lord, you're finishing works. You're not just a starter of it, but Lord, you are a finisher. Lord, you are a completer, one that will not stop. But one, Lord, I'm believing that you are going to see all of this through to the fullest degree in total completion in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, would you let your spirit rest on them? Rest on them as they go in Jesus' name. Lord, would you bless them? Would you bless your people today? Make your face shine upon them. Lift your countenance in their direction and give them peace in Jesus' name.